test. It's kind of hard to get started when the preacher's still up and moving around and chatting. And No, no, it's okay. It's <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, for those of you who came to the chili cook-off last night, we had a great turnout. And uh, we were selling Roll-H for $12 a tablet. We sold out. It was pretty good. It was a good evening. So uh, I know Tracy and a lot of others put time and effort in it, but we had a great turnout. It was a great time. Uh, thankful for that. So, all right. I'm trying to think. There was something I was supposed to announce. That shows how good I am. We'll just act like you didn't hear that I was supposed to announce something. There's nothing I'm missing. So, um, all right. So we'll go ahead and get started this morning with a prayer, and then we'll kind of jump into our. We'll be in uh, Joshua chapter four and following from there. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, as we dive into your word this morning, may you bless our time as we study, and may you help us to see your word as you would have us see it, and to understand the message you would have us to, to get, and to learn the lessons that we should learn. Help us in our discussion uh, that we can uh, be loving and kind and encouraging. Help us as a family to love your word, to love the time we spend in it, and to, to seek and, and long for it each and every day in our lives. May it be a part of who we are, and may it be a, a guide to our feet. Bless this time we have in your study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Joshua chapter 4. So... Last week, we got a couple million people across the Jordan River, and we did it in a very mundane, routine way, right? You know, God simply dried it up for miles on end, uh, you know, something that's become rather rather easy for God to do, but it's remarkable, it's amazing. Uh, you had the priests do exactly what God asked them to do, right? Carrying the ark, step into the river, dry ground, and it wasn't a narrow path. It gives how far upriver it quit flowing, and it's beyond what you can see, and how far downriver it quit flowing. So this flooding out of the banks, Jericho raging river is dry for several miles and the entire distance, and everybody walks across on dry ground, and then the priests come out, the water comes back. Uh, Very reminiscent of the Red Sea, we'd seen what God had done. However, um, as soon as they come out of the water, God has given Joshua some instructions about what just happened. And in Joshua chapter 4, we see some of those. Anybody remember what God wanted Joshua to do? Right, I heard several people say it. The stones, okay? So God gives instructions. He says, take one person from each tribe, have them go out into this dry river and pick up a stone, um, bring it over, and they're going to make a pile of stones, right? And they're going to put them together, and then God gives a purpose. What is the purpose behind these? Right, so I heard two answers, and they are both correct. So you can remember, and so when your children's ask, you, you say, This is what God did, right? So God gives them instructions, and he gives them a reason. And I love this is just a few short verses, but I love what it teaches us. So when you think about God's instructions to Joshua and what he's asking them to do and what he says, 
What types of lessons can you learn from this simple little instruction after this magnificent thing that God has done, this simple little story? What kind of lessons do you think we can learn from that? That's one of them I have, Tony. Tony said the importance of teaching our children. And I have have some comments about that here. Um, As a parent... The single most important thing I can do is live a life for God. The second most important thing I can do by far is to make sure I raise my children in the Lord. So we can go to verse after verse, a few that I wrote down. The, the classic Proverbs 22, 6, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is older, he will not depart, his way, depart from it, depending on your version, okay? Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke, provoke your children to anger, but do what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yeah. Um, Deuteronomy 6 7. So let's remember, we're not far, we're you know, 40 years down, but God has given the law. And when He's given the law, He has some specific instructions about what you're supposed to do. And He gives some instructions to parents about making sure that you talk to the you talk to your children about this law that I've just given you. Deuteronomy 6 talks about it. Deuteronomy 11 talks about it. Okay? Because this is not something, we have to be careful sometimes that Bible study is not an academic endeavor only, okay? Now, is there value in an academic endeavor? What do I mean by that? There are times when somebody needs to pick apart the word, pick apart the grammar, understand the translation, right? And there is value in memorizing, and there's value in knowing, and there's value being able to answer a test. But... That has very limited value compared to what it needs to do in our lives and how it means we should interact with those around us and what we should teach our children, right? If we make Bible study and knowledge an academic process only, we've missed the boat, okay? I can go to hell with the greatest amount of Bible knowledge in the world, right? I can have children that are lost and I have the greatest amount of Bible knowledge in the world. So... God talks in Deuteronomy when he gives the law to the parents and says, you make sure when you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk, that you teach your kids. Okay. Well, here we have this great thing that's happened. And God says, you build these stones here. So when your kids say, what's that? You don't say, oh, it's a memorial. Let's keep on walking. Nope. You stop and you say, this is what God did for us here. This is how God brought us to the promised land. And I, I want to make sure we understand it's not just about the parting of the Jordan, right? What God did there was phenomenal. But it was the completion of 500 years of promise, 600 years of promise, right? And, and, I, and he's not saying when you see it, well, that's where God parted the Jordan. It was cool. No. This is where God showed his faithfulness to the people because he parted the Jordan in a way that we can't explain. And we came into the promised land that he had promised our, our forefathers seven centuries earlier. And he was faithful to fulfill that promise. And along the way, he parted the Red Sea and he did these plagues and he gave us food and he saved us and we defeated our enemies. And now we, he, this was just the culmination of God being God, the supreme God, creator, father who loves us. That's what we're teaching our children, not God did something. God parted the Red Sea here. I mean, there's uh, Jordan River here. Pretty neat, huh? No. 
No. We have a responsibility to teach our children. Now, how many of you have heard data in the last few years about kids in the church and how many we're losing? How bad we're losing them? Anybody heard any data? Can you give me any numbers you've heard? Because there's some famous numbers out there. They show up on Facebook. They've been printed in Christian publications, and I've heard them taught by many preachers. 85% of kids that graduate and go off leave the church. Have you heard that number? Yeah, I've heard that. I see some of you shaking your heads. I've heard that number. I've heard it preached repeatedly. So let's talk about that for a minute. First and foremost, that number is not true, and I want to make sure you understand that, okay? If you look at that study that was done, it was a bad study done a bad way with bad data with bad conclusions. Other than that, it's great, okay? I mean, you can look at it. They made false con- Now, they weren't doing it to be false. They're doing it to show the problem we have in our Christian homes, but it is not true, okay? I've seen the data. Dale Jenkins, for those of you who came up here, he and I have talked about it. He knows the people that did it, and we've talked to them directly about how they did it. They did it wrong, okay? So I don't want us to be all gloomy, because it would be easy to say 85% of the kids that graduate from our youth group, they're going to fall away. That's what the data shows us. That's not true, okay? It would be gloom and doom. Oh, it's awful. But there is a problem, okay? And the problem is no different than what we're going to see in the book of Judges, right? We've talked about that before. You know the cycle in Judges? God is great. We love God. We worship God. The next generation arises that doesn't know God and fear him. And what happens? They fall away. And then God comes and rescues them. And then God is great. We love God. And the reason it happens is not because we forget. The reason it happens is because parents weren't doing their job. Plain and simple. Okay, Parents weren't doing their job. And I'm going to say parents as a collective term because there are other people in the family of God where my kids grew up and there were grandparents and there were friends and there were Bible teachers and there were preachers. Now, I had a job to do and I did not abdicate that job to anyone else. But I am not arrogant enough to think I'm the only one that taught my kids or my my wife and I are the only one that taught our kids. We did not abdicate our job, but we are so grateful for the hundreds of other people that had influences on them. So whether you have no kids, little kids, grown kids, this is a commandment that we have as parents, but this is a commandment that as a church we should take very seriously because you will have impact. I'm looking around. I I I I see several families with little kids, and everybody in this room can have an effect on those little kids. Well, it's the parents' job. It might be. It might be. But do parents go through hard times? Do marriages go through hard times? Do finances affect our time? Do we sometimes have a parent who struggles and falls away or who is simply just trying to keep themselves with the Lord? And I can sit back and point a finger and say, well, they should be a better parent. Or I can say, how are we going to help them so that we can help the parent and the child, right? Yeah, this memorial is about teaching our kids. So getting back to that data, I've said this before, when you look at the data, what they said was, if you're a member of the church and your children graduate high school, there's an 85% chance they will fall away from the Lord by the time they end college or by the, by the time they're young adults. Okay? Their definition of a member of the church was loose church. Okay, So they used this was not a Church of Christ study. right? And it was someone who claims to attend somewhere. Okay, uh, This past week, we had a large discussion over at our hospital because it's the end of the year. And in order to be a member 
of the medical staff, you must attend a certain percentages of medical staff meetings. And the bylaws are clear, the rules are clear, and the reason is you cannot claim membership if you do not participate. And I thought, well, I would say the same thing about church. You can claim membership all you want, but if you do not participate, you notice I didn't say attend, participate, you're not a member, right? I can walk inside a garage all day long. It doesn't make me a car, okay? There are certain things you have to have and do and be a part of, and right? And so when you look at the data, if you attend a service twice a week and participate in some other activity, the chance of your kids being a faithful Christian when they graduate college is about 90%. Yeah, we're losing 10%, and we need to address that, but we're not losing 85%. But if I say, oh, I'm a member of the church, when was the last time? Well, we go, we, I mean, we go like twice a month. We go once a week, and you're not a member. I'm sorry, but you're not participating. You're an attendee. Well, yeah, attendees have a hard time. How they have a hard time staying engaged, and guess what? Their kids are going to have a hard time. And what we say is, well, when your kids see that it's not a priority for you, it's going to be less of a priority for them. That's not true. When your kids see that you've been lying, they're going to say, I'm not going to do anything about it. Because when I say I'm a member and I don't show up, my kids don't say, well, it's not a priority. They say, they're just lying. Right? I'm a member, but I'm never there. You're not a member. Kids aren't stupid. And so when we take that definition of a member... And then you look at their kids, they have a very high chance of being faithful. If you attend three times a week and participate in two or more activities, it's about a 96% chance that by the time your child is 30, they and their family will be faithful members. Ooh, that's a pretty good number. I'd like it to be 100%. But what that shows is, as parents, we need to teach our children, but not in an academic setting. Nothing wrong with the academic. What we need to do is have our children here. And we need to be participating, and our kids need to be participating. And when they see that we aren't hypocrites, and when they see that it is important to us, they will do the same thing. Now, does that mean every child? No. No. We all know that when people become adults, any person can struggle, as can a faithful child. Right? That doesn't mean that if your child is not faithful, you failed as a parent. Absolutely not. That is not what I'm implying. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? When children become adults, they make adult decisions. They have pressures from the world. And you think Satan lets them alone just because you were a good parent? No. God is the perfect father. Are all of his kids faithful? No. So I'm not here to say, oh, if you're kidding, no, 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 no. But I'm here to say, God tells them you should teach your kids. And it is effective. It will work more times than not. So that's a good lesson. I agree with that. That's one of them I had written down. I had, as you can tell, a bunch of notes about it. One thing we learned from this is we should teach our kids. What else? What was the first part of that he explained? So the second part was when your kids ask. What was the first part of that? Remember what God has done. How Yes. So, court's saying it looks back to the Passover. 
because it's very similar in some of those instructions. You remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Looks forward to the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the body, the right? So why do we see, do this so you can remember. Do this so you can remember. Do this so you can remember. Why do we see that? I mean, there are things I don't have a hard time remembering. Eh, really? It's like, oh, my anniversary, right? I'm not going to ever forget. The greatest day of my life, right, when I got married? Anybody ever let it sneak up on them? I'm not saying you've forgotten about it, because we would never do that. But anybody, anybody ever let a birthday sneak up on them, a holiday sneak up on them? You ever thought, ooh, i got a couple days to buy presents for seven people, don't I? Yeah. These are big days. And we see reminders all the time. Right, your anniversary, you see it all the time. I've got something on my finger that reminds me of a marriage. I've never thought, am I married or not? All right, I don't forget that. Yet sometimes July 14th rolls around the 15th anniversary, and I think, ooh, man, I can't go buy a senseless piece of jewelry again because she'll know I forgot. Probably need to come up with something, right? God knows our humanity. Isn't it great that God says, look, you're a human. You're not, you're not going to remember every single thing I've asked you to remember forever. It's not going to always be in the forefront of your line. God knows that on a day-to-day basis, there are things going on in my life that make it hard to remember. Right? I would, I, I would love to tell you that as a mature Christian and an elder, I wake up every morning and the first thing I think about is God. But I would be lying to you. Because there are a thousand things that go on in my life that compete for my memory, for my time, for my effort. And while I want God to always be forefront, I have a job and a wife, and I worry about my kids, and I worry about this church, and I worry about people that I pray for, and I become selfish. You know what I sometimes do first thing? Look out the window to see how much it snowed, because it's going to affect my life that day, isn't it? Should that be my priority? No. But does life happen? Yes. God says, look. See, to me, this is very comforting. God says, look, you're a human with a human mind, and a lot of things are going to go on in your life. But I want to give you something that's going to help you. I want to give you something that's going to enrich you and encourage you. We've got these pile of stones here. The Israelites had certain memorial feasts. We do as well. On a weekly basis, boy, that's too often. It's going to become routine. Really? I brush my teeth twice a day. I need to quit. I'm just going to brush my teeth once a week so it doesn't become routine. Right? I'm just going to shower once a month so that it doesn't become routine. Yeah. God says, look, I'm giving, this is not a command that's burdensome. This is something for your benefit. I want you to remember these things. I want it to be on the forefront of your mind. I want it to be something for you going, oh, man, life is tough. Life is hard. Oh, man, you know, God, God really did something great here. He can get me through that, right? What am I going to do with my, my health is bad? Well, yeah, let's take a minute. Let's pray. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. You know what? That health is not the most important thing. These redirections, these bringing you back, and I, I kind of make it sound like this rosy, cheery life, but isn't that what God wants we got a rough life, but at least once a week, I want you to come together with your family and remember what really matters, that it's not about this life. That, to me, is neat. 
And so I don't look at that as a burden. Burden. And so we, it's like the Sabbath. Remember what Jesus had to teach? You've forgotten the purpose. You've made it this burden. God did the Sabbath to make your life better. This Lord's Supper, this memorial, this thing I'm supposed to remember is not a burden. It's not an obligation. It is God going, I love you enough. I'm going to give you a tool that's going to make your life better. I'm going to give you an, a, an action that is going to make it easier on you, not harder. This is not an obligation. If you do this every week in remembrance of me, it's going to be easier to be focused. It's going to be easier to remember what I did. That's pretty neat to me because he knows I'm fallible with an imperfect memory and lots of distractions and says, let's make this easier on you. What else? Or any comments about that? Tony said, God is faithful. Water moves stones. Right, this is a flooding river, raging river. And you've seen in, in Alaska, you've seen raging, flooding rivers, right, because of the melt and the breakup and those types of things. Can it do damage? Can it move stuff? Yeah. But there's this pile of stones that's sitting there. God said, you know, you're going to see that and go, wow, look at that. This is bigger than the river, and God kept his promises. Wow, God is faithful. That's a pretty neat reminder, isn't it? We talked about that last week with the crossing of the Jordan because, again, we view and we, we follow, I, I, I don't say we, I, I fall into the trap of these stories become very familiar to me. God flooded the earth and saved, you know, an ark. That's pretty neat. He had a boat. Think of the, think of the magnificence of that. He saved eight people in a boat while, they, while millions of people died. God parted the Red Sea. That's, that's pretty cool. Think about what it takes to do that. God parted the Jordan and brought 700 years of promise to fulfillment. Think about the power behind that. And more so, what we see, he brought 700 years of promise for fulfillment so that he can bring Christ into the world. I mean, this right here is a step in bringing salvation to us. Not because of the physical promised land, but because the Israelites were the conduit in which Jesus was coming into the world to save us. God's faithfulness he doesn't look at days and weeks and months. He, it's amazing the story of God. And these stones are supposed to remind him of that. And to us, we'll never set eyes on these stones, but it's supposed to have the same effect on us because we can read about it right here. And it's supposed to have the same effect on us. What else? <laughs> so have you ever I've gone through a time in my life when I went through this and I still at times wonder about certain things have you ever questioned some of the commands of God and thought why that doesn't make any sense have you ever wondered why what we get here, 12 stones, why, God? That doesn't make any sense. I don't want to have to pick up a 50-pound stone. You know, they didn't bring a rock. They, I don't want to have to pick up this big stone. Why? This, is, this is, doesn't make sense to me. 
But God doesn't always do it. Here, God stops and he explains what he's doing. But what that shows me is even when he doesn't explain it, there's a reason behind God's commands. God's commands are, he's not out there going, you know what, I'm going to make him, I'm going to make him dip underwater. It's not okay to spring up. I just want to see them all get wet. No, there's a reason behind he said immersion is what saves you. There's a reason, right? Now, he doesn't always explain everything. Why unleavened bread? Anybody? Go back to the original Passover. Why unleavened bread? Yeah. You know, which lasts longer, unleavened bread or leavened bread? Which one spoils quicker? Not in the days of preservatives. He said, you're going to make some unleavened bread. You can eat it quickly. It's thinner. It's easier. And it's not going to go bad because you're about to travel. You're not going to have time to cook again. I want you to make enough for several days. There was a reason behind it. It's not arbitrary. He didn't think, eh, I just want you to get rid of the leaven. No. There was a reason. There was a, there's not always a practical reason. Sometimes there's a symbolism. Sometimes there's a lesson to be learned. And oftentimes there's all of them. There's a practical reason that represents something with a lesson to be learned. And that's what it was with the unleavened bread. And so we can look at our Lord's Supper today and say it doesn't matter. Or it mattered to God back then when he instituted the Passover. And it mattered a lot. There was a purpose behind it. Right? Sometimes God doesn't... He says, look, my ways are higher than your ways. Follow my commands. But sometimes he says, let me tell you why. So people will ask... Why, male, why is it a woman can't be an elder or lead the church? Because God doesn't like women? Is it an arbitrary rule to see if we're obedient? Was it a cultural thing? Paul says, no, there's a reason for it, and here it is. And he gives you the scripture going back to Genesis. There's a purpose behind it. Right? Now, we don't always have the, why a cappella singing? Why does it matter to God? Okay. Well, I can tell you 100% fact that if you bring an instrument in, fewer people sing. Is that what God wants? I can tell you 100% fact when you bring an instrument in, fewer people are engaged. Do you think that's what God wants? Is that why he said that? I don't know, but it would make sense to me. Maybe that is. Oh, God just wants us to be different. He just wants us to, he wants to put these parameters around us and control us. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he does want obedience. Maybe he's got a purpose behind us. Why is it that God didn't want you to just sleep with whomever and to pick one spouse? Well, he doesn't want us to have fun. Well, he doesn't want us to populate the same. Maybe he doesn't want you to get an STD. Maybe he wants you to have a strong relationship. Maybe he wants you to have one family that you can put your time and energy into and get into heaven. Maybe all of those things matter. Maybe he just wants to see if you're obedient. But maybe, if you followed God's law, is your life going to be easier or harder? Now, from a world standpoint, you will be persecuted and face trials. But do you have a harder time with decision-making if you're following God's laws, or do you have an easier time? Much easier, right? Am I going to go do this activity or that? When was the last time you truly were conflicted between what's the best should I do this on Sunday or this? Should I do this with my money or this? Now, it does happen sometimes. And we pray about it. But for the most part, if you're following God's laws, our lives are easier to live. Not because we don't have hardships, but even the hardships are easier to get through, right? 
God gives them instructions for a purpose and explains it. Look, I'm not just asking you to pile a bunch of rocks up. I got a purpose behind it. Right? And let me tell you what that is. Because next time I may not give you the purpose, but I want you to trust me and have faith in me. I want you to obey. Because the last time I explained it and it made sense to you, right? It's sometimes God uses the line that we said we would never use as a parent. And what is that? Because I said so, right? I honestly said that to my mom. We all thought it, I'm sure. But I said that to my mom. I will never say that to my kids. Yeah. That lasted, I don't know, maybe 12 minutes or something once I became a parent. I don't know what the time frame was. Probably about the time my oldest started talking, I used that line. Right? Now, there are there times I explain it to my daughter? Yes. But sometimes I just don't have time to explain it. I don't want you to run around out in the street because a car could be coming down the street and not see you and hit you and then you're damaged. Right? Don't run in the street. God says, I want you to do this for a purpose. It has a purpose. Here's the purpose. This is why I'm asking you to do it. Teach your kids. Remember what I've done. Next time I may not give you that explanation. And that's okay. God is not arbitrarily throwing out rules putting out an obstacle course, seeing who can run the race and maybe get through it. God's doing things for a purpose. And in this case, the purpose and the benefit was to his people who probably thought, another rule. He's like, I promise if you do it, it's going to make it better. That Passover feast is going to make it better because otherwise you go four or five years without remembering and that story's going to get faded and fewer people are going to know about it and it's going to make it tough. I think about the idea of that, that going back to we needed a reminder we're human, um, and I think about the Lord's Supper. That is the you know the the classic that I like to use as an example. But there's other reminders we have, um, and the best I like is Romans chapter one. You know, if you want you, you need a reminder each and every day. What does creation remind us? There's a creator. Yeah, I mean each and every day. And in Romans chapter 10, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, when life is tough and we're trying to remember the full assurance of faith, what does he say you need to be doing? You know what you need to be doing? Getting around people like you, right? Not forsaking when people like this get together, right? Because if you try to go through life alone, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to remember those things I've asked you to remember. Now, I will say this, and all of you know that, that, Roman, that Hebrews 10 verse, Hebrews 10, 25, right? Not forsaking the assembling together. That is not about worship, okay? In fact, if you read that section, it has nothing to do with worship attendance. However, there is value in attending worship because people are together. But that using that verse to justify attendance to worship is using it out of context. I think we know that. Um, but it has value in any time God's people get together. We should make it a part of who we are. We should try to um, because of remembering the full assurance of faith, remembering what Jesus did for us. Not losing hope is actually the term that's going to go there and encouraging one another. So, All right, that was a lot of comments about a bunch of stones on the side of a river. Other comments, observations, questions, laments, arguments, interjections, salutations? Yes, sir. Kids?
Yes, keep it simple, stupid. Shepherds. Gotcha. Yeah. That's true. This is a very simple reminder. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. He doesn't make it complicated. Bread and juice, pile of rocks, this simple meal. You're right. Um, because that does, and part of that is, it doesn't become about the rocks, and it doesn't become about the bread and juice. It becomes about what you're supposed to remember. That's a good point, yeah. You said keep it simple, shepherd. I mean, the KISS principle is a is a business principle, right? And it is something that people have said to me. I don't know why that came to me a lot. So, no, I'm just kidding. That's right, though. But you keep it simple, and then it makes it about what you're supposed to remember rather than the process itself. Yeah. Danny, I saw your... Bad sins. Yeah, so Danny's pointing back to Romans chapter 1, which is a great chapter. It's probably one all of us should read about once a month or so, just to remind us. But the idea in verses 20 and 21, it gives the list of the sins, and the, but there's a reason behind it. Although they knew God, they failed to glorify him, to worship him, to recognize him, to acknowledge him, right, as God. And that gets back to the fact that, you know, I was, I was using the reference to creation says there's a God. You know there's a God. But again, academically knowing there's a God is not sufficient. There's a recognition of him as God, worship of him, glorifying him as God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, so Danny's saying there, you know, Hebrews ten twenty five, and that's what I said. It's not, it's not about worship. It's not referring to worship at all. Um, and so it shouldn't be used about attendance to worship, but it should be used anytime Christians are coming together, which worship is one of those times. But there's lots of other verses. Romans 1 has it. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about worship. In Acts, we see that they came together to worship. They came together to break bread. They came together to pray and study. We see that throughout. So please don't say, I don't think attendance is important. Right? 
I think I think I can't imagine a Christian who doesn't want to be a part of worship. Right? And so you may say, are you saying if you don't want to worship, you're not a Christian? I'm saying I can't imagine a Christian who doesn't want to be a part of worship. There are things that a Christian is and does, and it's worship. And so if we aren't worshiping, you have to draw your own conclusions going backwards. A Christian will want to worship God. Anybody, anybody disagree with that? This is the Almighty, the Creator, the person who saved me, the person who's given me a place in heaven. If I am a Christian, I will want to acknowledge that. And I, the, the word there in Romans, glorify, I think it's the version you have. Uh, New King James, New American Standard. New King James, glorify. Right? If God has saved me, I can't imagine not saying thank you. Right? So, is worship necessary to be a Christian? Yes. Is attending corporate worship? Well, we can talk about that. Attending, uh, being a part of a church, being a part of the church family, the family of God is. Worship is necessary. Worship beyond my own personal worship is necessary. Coming together when Christians come together is necessary. Right? So, we can start to draw conclusions pretty quickly. And, again, there are things we do because we see examples. Well, we got lots of examples in the New Testament. So, yes, sir. So Tony was talking about priests and the significance of priests. We go to the Old Testament, we get this view of priests. That view sort of hangs over in the New Testament. Everybody's like, no, it's different. Well, no, the difference isn't that we don't have priests. The difference is when we become Christians, we are all. That's the purpose of Hebrews when it talks about we're all priests, right? We're all priests. And what does a priest do? They worship. And if you're a priest, you worship. And if you don't worship, you're not a priest. And if you're not a priest, you're not a saved Christian, according to the book of Hebrews, right? I mean, he's saying we've all been made priests. We've all been given access to God. The veil has been removed. That So, again, please don't say I'm saying attendance at worship is not important. I'm actually viewing it differently in that Hebrews 10.25 does not command us to be at worship. It has nothing to do with worship from a command standpoint. But I can't... A Christian would not miss an opportunity to worship God if they're capable and able. Now, you're sick, you're shut in. There are people who have, is it okay for a Christian to be a fireman? I don't know how they do the schedules here in the lower 48. A lot of them do one on, three off, one on, whatever. Yes. And that means there are certain times you may not be able to worship with that family, right? But do you want there to be a nurse in the hospital if you were to get sick at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? I think that's very reasonable, right? Now, we may make choices in our lives and in our decisions to not be someone who's going to miss regularly, but I can tell you there were times when I got called to church. I got called to a hospital for an emergency during church, and I could have said no, and there were times that somebody would have died. So I I think it's okay when I make worship my priority, but at times knowing you have a sick child, Oh, I, we're gonna, I'm going to go to worship. I'm going to leave my kid home alone. They're sick. Well, come on. Nobody, right? So it should be our priority because as a Christian, 
why would I do anything but want to worship God? Why would I ever not want to worship God? Mm-hmm. If it's an arbitrary thing, then we really need to look at ourselves because we really have a mm-hmm. Agreed. If the, the statement is if, if we view that attending Sunday morning gathering, the come together worship is what Paul says in some version, right? When you come together to worship, if it's an arbitrary thing, it's available, it's something I might do if it's convenient then that points to a heart problem. And I think that gets to what I'm saying. If I'm a faithful Christian, this doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle. This doesn't mean there's not going to be times when I think it is 8.30 a.m. and I'm tired. I don't feel good. I want to do this. I want to do that. Please understand. I know there are, just like we said earlier, there are a thousand things pulling at my mind and my time in my life. But if it's not something I long to do, I want to do, then I need to evaluate my heart. Now, are there times in my life that going to worship was a chore. Yes, I'm going to be honest. There were times when it was a chore. Oh, Stephen, you shouldn't be that way. I agree. Yeah, I'm not down in that. But it doesn't mean I wasn't. Are there times in your life where you may have thought, I don't, I don't want to be there, or boy, I'd sure like to do it. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I, I doubt any Christian every Sunday morning their entire life has thought, this is the greatest in the world I'm going. Because we're humans, and life hits us, and illness hits us. And distractions hit us. And despair hits us. And somebody here is going to upset you, and you're going to have to go see them. And somebody here is going to say something from that pulpit, and you're going to be upset, and you're going to have to go listen to them again. And those elders there are going to do something with some money or with some program, and you're not going to like it. And you've got to go sit there and listen. Yes, 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 and yes. It's not that it's easy every time. But there should be something in me that says, as a Christian, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm going to worship. I'm going to glorify God. Danny? That is a great statement you just made. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Danny said, you know, there... There was a time in lots of churches I've done this where they say, because of the authority of the elders, you should be here on Sunday night and Wednesday night, right? The elders have set it forth, you're in submission to the elders. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. For someone who's struggling, for someone who's frustrated, for someone who's partially committed, for someone who's going through a hard time in their life, for somebody who's mad at the elders, is that effective? No. But if I can have them see the value of worship, if I can get to their heart, the heart of the problem, right? So, why doesn't God in 
Genesis 1-1, you will worship me every Sunday and never miss. Because that's not what he wants. He doesn't want people obligated to trudge in Sunday morning and plop down. Right? That's not the purpose. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm so sorry. So that the statement is coming here, communing, worshiping, it strengthens our faith. And that's why God designed this worship. So I'm going to make a statement that we won't be able to get into, but I'll be glad to discuss next week. There is not only one, people say there's one audience of worship. That's not true. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 14. God is not the only reason that we're here. Some of you are going to be very upset. If all I do is glorify God in my heart, have I worshiped when we come together? No. The reason I know that is, if I can speak in tongues of angels, right? But if I don't have an interpreter here, what does God tell me to do? Shut up. Why? God can hear it. If God's the only thing that matters, because God's not the only thing that matters. There's a family of God here, and he says, I bring you together for a purpose. It's to worship me and to encourage one another. It is not an inferior purpose. It is an equal purpose. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. We only sing to God. No. No. I sing in my heart because I... No. 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 Well, I don't really sing out. No. When you come here, I expect something from you, and I selfishly want that encouragement from you. That's awful, Stephen. No, it's not. I love you, and I'm going to give you whatever encouragement I can, and I really want that from you. I need it. I don't have it all together. And when you come and you don't participate, you're robbing me. That's not fair to me. Do you not love me enough to give me that same encouragement? God is not the only, the only direction of our worship. We only worship him, but when we come together, we have a purpose that is separate than our individual worship. I would love to do it. We need to do a 1 Corinthians 14 study. If I could do the greatest worship to God and fail if I don't also encourage the people sitting in these seats. And that's why he says, if what you're doing doesn't benefit the group, shut up and sit down. I'm paraphrasing there. You know that. But All right. Sorry we went too long. Great comments today, everybody.